Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. So welcome. Good to see you. Uh, you might want to stretch a minute. That always helps loosen the, the joints and whatever else needs to be loosened to get you ready physically. Uh, but the most important thing, let's pray. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit uh, to breathe on his word and to make it alive, uh, that it would touch us and transform us. Father, I want to thank you for each one of my brothers and sisters on the screen. And Lord, we come with a common desire, and that is to, to meet you in a fresh way. Uh, not just to know about you, but to know you and to be able to walk with you. And Father, we just thank you for this portion of scripture. Uh, we just pray that, Holy Spirit, you would illuminate it. Uh, and I pray that you would apply it to each of our lives. Lord, there's certain sections, I'm sure, of the study that will apply uh, to us more than others. So I just pray, Lord, highlight those specific parts that we need to hear and apply. So Father, we come with an expectant heart to meet you in your word. And it's in your name we ask you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Let's read Mary's psalm. Okay. We're in Luke chapter 1 and verse 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He's given help to Israel, his servant. In remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. Amen. <clears throat> well, let me give you a little bit of background here before we kind of take these verses apart. Uh, Mary has just had a visitation by Gabriel the angel, and the angel has given her some amazing news that she is going to literally be the mother of the Son of God. Not only that, that the Son of God is actually going to be the Messiah and the Savior of the world, that the entire Jewish race had been waiting on tiptoe to be able to see this happen. And Mary is definitely shaken up. Uh, I guess we'd all be wound up like, what do you do with these words? And the angel adds a couple other things. He said, by the way, your cousin Elizabeth is also six months pregnant. 
So talk about your life being turned upside down. Uh, Mary gets very, very, I'm sure, curious, excited, any other kind of adjective. And she wants, the Bible says, to go with haste to be able to celebrate this good news with Elizabeth, but not only to celebrate Elizabeth's good news, but to be able to share the good news that just has been given to her. And then she goes into this, this, this you might say, this, this time of praise and, and an overflow. It's like the Holy Spirit in her just bubbles up, and she just can't wait to praise God. She just overflows. And as we look at this, uh, there's five points I'd like us to look at when Mary is sharing her praise with God. Number one uh, is it's important to worship God. And number two, who is the God that we worship? Three, that God loves and he rewards a humble heart. Four, God responds to spiritual hunger. And last, God wants to help us in our time of need. So that's kind of like the five areas we're going to center in on. Number one, worship. It's so important. If you look at Mary right in the beginning, Mary is greeted by Elizabeth. Elizabeth says some amazing words. He says, blessed among women are you. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then these words kind of almost explode out of Mary with joy. And she says, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Friends, it's really important to worship the Lord, and not just on a Sunday morning, but it really, it's a lifestyle. It's an all-day kind of a thing in the sense of worshiping the Lord. And when I think of the word worship, I think of kind of maybe a word that connects with it with, that would be worth-ship, W-O-R-T-H, worth-ship. God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of that. A number of reasons. Number one, he's the one that gave us breath. We wouldn't be on the screen, folks, unless God created us. And it's very clear in Psalm 139, he knew us in our mother's womb. He has an amazing plan. He's the creator. Not only is the, he the creator, he is the savior. He sends his only son into the world to deal with the sin issue in our life that's messing us up. And through that cross, he puts us back together again. So God is creator. He's savior. He's also sanctifier. He's the one that brings holiness out in our life and removes the negative and puts the positive within us. Not only is that, uh, he is the sustainer. He's the one that gives us our next breath. Literally, he gives you the ability to keep on keeping on to the day he calls you home. And not only that, he is the God who wants to meet your needs and my needs. Because of these things, we are to literally praise him. And I don't know anybody that does a better job in the Bible of praising God uh, than the psalmist. It's amazing. If you look, I just want to give you a couple of psalms here. Psalm 148, uh, and it's says this. Let me just look her up here. Psalm 148 and verses 1 to 5, it says this, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the highest. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all the stars of light. Praise him, highest heavens. 
and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord. He's calling all creation uh, to worship God. And if you look at Psalm 150, I remember in Sunday school, this was one of the Psalms I had to memorize. And again, it's a, it's a song of praise to God. It says this, praise the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in his mighty expanse, praise him for his mighty deeds, praise him according to his excellent greatness. And then all these instruments are called to praise the Lord, praise him with the trumpet sound, praise him with the harp and the lyre, praise him with the timbrel and with dancing. Wouldn't that be cool on a Sunday morning if we started all dancing around the sanctuary? <laughs> these people knew how to celebrate. They just didn't sit in their seats like they were half dead. I mean, they were excited when they came to the Lord and worshiped him. And then I like as it ends, praise him with loud cymbals, praise him with resounding cymbals. And then he wraps it up. Let everything that has breath, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So there we are. It is important to worship God. He is worthy of our praise. And by the way, as we get into praise, there's, there's a sensing of his presence. The Bible says he dwells in the praises of his people. Because uh, that's what heaven's going to be all about. We're going to be praising him. And there's no higher experience, really. And I'm sure we've all had this somewhere along the way as we've been in worship, that, that you, you sense like a little bit of heaven is just downloaded into your own spirit. So, so important. Number one, we need to worship God. Number two, who is the God? that we worship. Well, look at some of the things that we're told that he is. Look at verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. Right here, Mary is beginning to lift up some of the attributes of God. She said, he's the mighty one. As we just said, he made the heavens and the earth. But if you look at biblical history, <clears throat> When the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt, God sent plague after plague after plague to wake up Pharaoh and the Egyptians to show his mighty arm. Uh, probably the biggest event for a Jew was when God opened up the Red Sea, if you can imagine what that would have looked like. And Lolly did that when the Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. He met their every need. He sent manna. He provided water. It says even their shoes did not wear out. God was the mighty God meeting their needs left and right. Not only that, we see all through the Old Testament, God fights for the people of Israel. And because of that, they win battle after battle after battle after battle. And then we flip into the New Testament. God hasn't lost any of his might because he shows it so clearly in the life of his son, Jesus. Jesus heals the blind, the deaf, the dumb. He heals lepers. He deals those that are lame. He even raises people from the dead. So God is truly the mighty one. So I don't know what you need today in regards to his might. But the Bible says very clearly he is the mighty one, and he wants to show his might in your life and in my life as well. The other thing it says he's he's holy. Holy means, biblically, that he's separated. In a sense, he is in a class all by himself. He's not just one of us, a human being pumped up, you know, 20, 30,000 times. He's in a class totally all by himself. 
The Bible is very clear uh, that he is absolutely pure. He is absolutely perfect. There's no pollution in him at all. He is set apart in his own righteousness and perfection. And he's there to help us to become holy. In fact, he, he actually says in the Bible, be holy, for I am holy. And I'm so glad that he gives us the holy, notice the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit of God could have been called many names, mighty spirit, loving spirit, but he's called what? The Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and when you yield your life to the Holy Spirit, guess what? The holiness of God himself begins to shine out of you and change those things around you. So God is mighty. He's holy. And also these verses said that he's a merciful God. He's a God who's loving. He's compassionate. He's kind. He's touched by our infirmities. He feels our hurts. He's not a God up there removed and detached from our needs. He's not a God who's harsh. But he's a God who is touched by our own inabilities and hurts, and he wants to minister to us with his mercy and with his grace. And Mary could have gone further, but there's other attributes of God. He's sovereign. He runs the universe. He sits on the throne, and nothing happens in your life and my life unless he gives permission. He's all, not, he's all knowledge. He has every piece of information about billions of people. Think about it. I don't know, 6 billion people. He knows every little detail on each of those lives about every part of a planet out in who knows where. He has all wisdom to know how to do what's right and best. The Bible says very clearly, he is good. He's everywhere. We could go on and on and on. But Mary touches a couple things that make God who he is. Then we look at the third thing that God wants to reward humble people. He wants to reward those that are humble in heart. Let me give you a couple verses here. If you look at verse 48, for he has regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations shall count me blessed. It says he has regard for the humble state, okay? Uh, she's talking about herself here. If you go look at 51, 52, he has done mighty deeds with his arm. He scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. So God is not happy with the proud. And the ultimate example of pride is Satan himself. It's all about him. Pride, he's filled literally with himself. He's not filled with God. He's filled with who he is, just himself. Uh, to be uh, arrogant uh, and those that are proud are those that are self-sufficient. They, they think they can handle everything on their own steam. They have the ability to do whatever they want. And God says, if you think you could do it all by yourself, that, that's, that's, that's the opposite of who I am and the opposite way I've created you. I've created you not to be independent, 
which is so easy for us as humans, right? We could, oh, I could do this. I could handle this. I'm smart enough for this. I got the power, da, da, da. God says, no, no. You've got to realize that apart from me, you can do nothing. You're weak. You can do nothing lasting on your own power. Uh, Jesus said that himself. If you look at Matthew 23 and verses 11, 12, I'm just going to read these to you. Jesus said this, but the greatest among you shall be your, think about it, what? Your servant. You want to be great. God says, then be a servant. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself, okay, like Satan, is going to be humbled. They're going to be put down. But whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Whoever humbles himself. I think of the story, uh, I think Jesus talked about people, you know, they come to the synagogue and some of these Jewish leaders, they wanted to sit right in the very front because they were in the front of the thing. I'm a big, big cheese. I'm, I am like, look at me, everybody. And he said, you know, guess what? There's other people that sit in the back. They don't want to be conspicuous. They don't want to blow their own horn. And in this neat little parable, the Lord says, guess what's going to happen? He's going to tell the person that's in the front, you get in the back. And you that were in the back, you're going to be put in the front. The Lord says it's so important not to be arrogant, not self-sufficient, but to be humble, to be dependent. It says this in James 1, 6. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you need grace, we need to be humble. That same exact verse is repeated in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6. And if God repeats something, it's like he's saying something and he's putting an exclamation mark and say, hey, this is really important. Listen up to what I'm trying to get across. <clears throat> so what I hear Jesus saying here in other scriptures is that in our own self, we really can't do anything that's going to be really effective and lasting. And Jesus said that himself in John 15. He said, apart from me, what? You can do nothing. That's humbling. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And I remember very clearly in seminary, that's way back. I was looking at that first. I said, Lord, I got it. Yeah, yeah, true. I got it. Yeah, apart from you, can't do anything. And I'll tell you. Over the years, God says, well, let me just make that experiential to you. You think you, oh, yeah, you can quote it up here. Yeah. Well, through the school of hard knocks, and I think every one of us has been there through trials and pain and temptation and failures, and you fill in the rest of it, we are literally brought to our knees and humbled. And God shows us that, you know, wow, we, God, we can't do anything. Unless you do it, I am stuck in the water. I'm going to go nowhere. So trials and tribulations have a purpose. I believe God permits them in many ways to bring us to the end of ourselves, the end of our own wisdom, the end of our own power, the end of our own might, which makes us look to him. So I think there's really there's two major uh, facets, I think, of the Christian life. 
First, we have to know experientially that we're weak. And again, I think life itself, with all that it throws at us, it definitely begins to make us see, oh, I'm weak, I'm weak. But there's a second part. Once God can show you you're weak, then he begins to say, well, let me show you what I can do through your weakness. Because basically, he tells Paul about the thorn. He says, when you're weak, you've got your best shot of moving in my power. If you think you're strong, then you're on your own. Uh, and I love what um, Paul says in Philippians, that I think this combines our weakness and God's strength. And Paul learned this over a period of time. He says this in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And if you'd look at the Greek, it would be, I can do all things through Christ who infuses his strength into my weakness. So God really loves humility because that gives him an ability to do what he wants to do in us and through us. Arrogance literally shuts him down. Okay, <clears throat> number four, uh, God responds to spiritual hunger. He loves hungry people. I'm not talking about physically food for your stomach. I'm talking about spiritual hunger. Uh, if you look at verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, and he sent away the rich empty-handed. He's filled the hungry with good things. And that brings me right to uh, the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord does a, a number of teachings. Blessed is this. Blessed are you. And he goes, blessed, 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 blessed. But then he says this in Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are you that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God responds to our spiritual thirst and our hunger, to our wanting to get deeper with him. And he said, if you're hungry and thirsty, I'll give you my righteousness. And I think that's really what it's saying is we got to get to the point in our life where our righteousness doesn't cut it. And we try to overcome sin in our own power and we can't do it. And we hunger. We say, God, I need your righteousness because my righteousness isn't making it because it's filled with holes. And when we pray for that, that's where actually I think we get to the point where we accept Christ as our Savior and Lord saying, Lord, I can't be righteous in my own abilities and efforts. I need you through the cross to impart your righteousness to me. But it's not only a, a hunger for righteousness with God. There's a hunger for God literally himself. And I love a couple of Psalms here. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2, it says this. And listen to the hunger of one of the sons of Koran. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And I have to ask myself the question, and if I'm going to ask myself the question, I have to ask you the question, are you panning after God? Are you saying, God, I want to get closer to you? Lord, I want to get to know you more. I want to be in intimate communion with you. You are the most important thing in my life. You are the pearl of great price. 
And you go through the Psalms, you're my portion, you're my shepherd, and whatever you other adjectives you want to use. But it says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, and this is where a deer is maybe being chased by some other animal, and it's it's running and it's panning, and it has to get to the water to cover its own tracks or to be able to, to quench its thirst. But the deer is just not just taking a little stroll here. It's it's full force ahead. And the psalmist says, that's it. I'm panning. I have to get to God. I've got to know him. David has a similar psalm in Psalm 63 that, again, refers to a thirsting after God. Listen to these words. Here is what he says. Oh, God, thou art my God. And I love it. He didn't say, oh, God, you're a God. No, no. He says, thou art my God. He had built this rapport over all the years that he had walked with the Lord, that it wasn't God is generic, a God. No, you're my God. And that brings me right to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. It's a personal rapport and relationship David has with his creator. But he says here, oh God, thou art my God. I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh yearns for thee in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. Uh, and then he says here, he, he's thinking of the times where he had intimate communion with God. Thus I beheld thee in the sanctuary to see thy power and thy glory. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise thee. I'll bless thee as long as I live. And then he says here, my soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. So basically, he is saying, God, I want to see more of you. And I'll tell you. I think, to me, the poster child of this hunger is Paul, uh, the great apostle in the New Testament. Paul is fighting Christians, trying to wipe them out, trying to annihilate them. God shows up on the Damascus Road, and, and Paul is he's literally knocked on his face. And he has an encounter with God that is life-changing. But what's interesting to me in the book of Philippians, this man who had an encounter that is like way off the charts, this same man says that I might know him. And I think people could say, Paul, what do you mean that you might know him? You got to be kidding, Paul. You literally encountered God on the road to Damascus. You saw Jesus and you tell me that you might know him. And I can hear Paul say, you don't get it. Because the more I see of the Lord, the more I want to see. Paul had an addiction to God. That's the only good addiction to have. He said, the more I see of God, I get so excited to see these new aspects of God. God, show me more and more. And he says, Lord, open my eyes. I've got to see Jesus at deeper levels. And many Christian scholars believe that's what heaven's going to be about. We're going to be there and we're going to see the Lord, and we're going to be blown away. You think Mary was excited when she was doing her little song. Just imagine when we get to heaven and encounter the Lord face to face, we're going to bubble up with praise. Uh, but many Christian scholars believe that our heaven will be a perpetual revelation of who God is, so that we'll be there, and God says, you think you saw me? Let me pull the blinders away. Let me show you more, and we're going to say more. And some people, you know, question in the book of Revelation, 
where these angels right by the throne and they say, holy, holy, holy. And they think, boy, this is good. This must be old. I mean, how do you just keep saying holy, holy, holy over and again? And I like what one person said. Why? Because God says, let me show you more. And they say, wow, holy, holy, holy. And God says, let me show you more. So it could well be that through eternity, God's going to show us more. So I just pray for all of us that God puts a, a spiritual hunger and a thirstiness here because in a sense, you'll be as close to God as intimate God, and you will see God to the degree that you're hungry and thirsty for him. If we just coast along and say, ah, that's okay, you know, here, come see, come saw, you know, kind of mosey on along. Um, God doesn't respond to that much, but he responds to those that are hungry to know him at deeper levels. And then uh, the last one here, number five. God wants to help us in our needs. Look at uh, verse 54. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He has given help to Israel, and not just to Israel. I mean, but but let me just give you one verse about Israel. Uh, Psalm 46.1. This is written to the Israelites, but really it's written to all of us. And it says this. You probably have heard it somewhere along the way. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, there's a verse to hang on to in the hard times. In the hard times, God says, guess what? I'm a refuge. You can run to me, and I'll be there with open arms, and I'll be there that you can hide yourself in me, and, <clears throat> and I'm going to support you, and I'll hold you, and I'll be with you, and I'll be your strength when you're weak. And I like this, a very present help. He said, I will be there in your deepest times of need. And I think the way he does the help more than any other way <clears throat> is by sending his spirit. And we looked at this in one of the soaps just the other week. <clears throat> in John chapter 16, verse 7, <clears throat> excuse me, Jesus said this, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you, but if I go, I'll send him to you. Guess what? You have the helper sitting inside of you. And this, I, I can't even wrap my mind around this. That inside of me if, and you, if we've given our life to Christ, if he's our Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit sitting in you. He's the one that moved on the waters in creation. And it literally created all the things we see. He's the one that gave Samuel supernatural strength to wipe out all the Philistines. He was the one that anointed Jesus to do all the miracles, open the blind eyes, to help the deaf to see, to be able to hear, and uh, the dead to come back to life. The Holy Spirit, that person, lives in the depths of us. And you want an adventure, Get to, that's where I'm at now. I want to get to know the Holy Spirit. He's inside of me. I want to get to know how he moves. And I just feel like I'm, a, I'm basically getting in the kindergarten to begin to get a handle on this. But to really sense that, that this third person, the Trinity, is inside of me. He's inside of you. And when he moves, to learn to move with him. 
And he can do amazing things. The Bible is very clear. He can help us solve problems. He gives us strength and weakness. He helps us to pray. He'll open the Bible to you as the greatest teacher. He'll also give you the ability to share your faith with boldness and sensitivity. I mean, there's no limit to what he can do. So God does want to be our helper. In fact, as we said before, when we're weak, he can be strong. That gets back to the humility factor. And when we say, God, I'm at the end of me, you have to step in because if you don't, it's done. And he does want to help. I just want to give you one other little tidbit, and it's not in the official study today, but I'll do a point six. This is in verse 45, that basically uh, Elizabeth says these words to Mary, verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. One of the most important things about Mary <clears throat> is that she believed God and she trusted him. And by the way, she obeyed him. I mean, you know, these are just elemental things, but they're the, they're the foundation stones of our walk. Learning to trust God, learning to obey God. And Mary exemplified these traits par excellence. She trusted that if God said he was going to do something, he would do it. And that's our call, really, for us to be able to trust the Lord the way Mary did, to trust God's word, to trust his promises, that if God says he's going to do something, we actually believe he's going to do it, and we step out and believe that he'll do it. <clears throat> and then, you know, to wrap this thing up, you might say, and we said it before, how do I get that trust? I want a better trust in the Lord, a deeper trust. I'm sure you do. And there's a great verse, and it's uh, in Psalm 9. It's basically, those who know thy name will put their trust in you. How do you get a strong faith? How do you get a strong trust? Get to know God more not just in the brain, but let the Holy Spirit make God real to your heart. The more real God is, the greater is your trust. And when we trust, I think that kicks in to the willingness to want to obey. So here we are. We see Mary. She is excited and she's worshiping. And thank God as we overhear what she's worshiping God, uh, there's some neat things that we can learn. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, <clears throat> Father, for these words of Mary that <clears throat> just bubbled up out of her heart. And Lord, we just thank you that we can eavesdrop on what that experience must have been like, the, the enthusiasm that just overcame her. Your spirit just, just grabbed a hold of her, and she spilled out these words of praise. But Lord, I just pray for each of us. Lord, help us to be worshipers. Breathe that spirit into us, not just when we come on a Sunday, but Lord, may we be able to worship, we pray, all the time, all throughout the day. And Father, we just pray, remind us how worthy you are of our worship. I mean, you are in a class all by yourself. And just help us to get to know you more. And thank you, Lord. I just pray you'd give us a humble heart that knows we're weak, but to know that you're strong at the same point. 
And Father, stir up, I pray, within each of us a hunger and a thirsting to know you more, Lord. We can never arrive and say, I fully understand you, Lord. We thank you for this an amazing adventure of getting to know you more deeply and intimately uh, as we journey through this life. And Father, just remind us the helper lives inside of us. Holy Spirit, I pray for each of us. Help us to know you, Holy Spirit, as a personality. Help us, not only that, uh, but to be able to know how you move in us and through us. And Lord, I pray, like Mary, help us to learn to trust you in deeper ways and give us the ability to obey you fully when you ask us to do something. So, Father, we thank you for what you're doing in us and what you're going to do through us. And we just pray to Jesus in your strong and holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen, folks. Have a great day. Have a very blessed, joyous, and a peaceful Christmas. And we'll catch you down the road a little bit. God bless.